0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with... Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra, Jonathan Mayo, taking a well-deserved, if perhaps ill timed, vacation. Uh, guys, we are in the midst of ranking season, which is uh, later than usual uh, because of the lockout. Our top 100 prospects list uh, came out to, well, first we started with the top 10 by position list, as we always do. Uh, then the Top 100 Prospects list is out. This is our first episode post Top 100 Prospects. So we are going to make this a Top 100 Prospects show. Uh, we're also in the process of rolling out the Team Top 30 Prospects list. Of course, you can go to MLB.com slash Pipeline and dig into all of those. As we are so busy with this stuff. And somehow Jonathan has managed to finagle a vacation
1: mid List launch. You know, I'm for one, I'm happy for him that he can take a break and and take a little bit of a a breather because, like you said, this is very much a busy season. He's been working hard on all this stuff for a very long time. And when I was talking to him before, I was like, when we get done with this, then it's the season starts. And he's like, yeah, and it's also draft season. So I'm going to let him take a break. But it also means like I can be on this show this week to talk about it with you guys. And there's no more fun time. Uh, to talk about prospects than after a top one hundred reveal like this. So I, I am grateful that Jonathan I'm giving, I'm giving Sam an eighty for his graciousness there. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna
0: say was very
2: gracious and then you turn Jim, it around shame,
0: and... shame Jonathan, please.
2: Yeah. No, I'm not gonna shame Jonathan.
0: <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. No, he 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 uh squeezed in a, a ton of work before he that he's, he's actually still working. He's been yeah I was gonna say he's been working on his list from Israel.
2: Um, and although, although you know I still if you're going to rank, like I don't know, degree difficult or like, like doing top thirties in a foreign locale, Jonathan's doing like what twenty or thirty blurbs, and I don't, I don't think anybody will ever top my 2015 performance of doing fifteen mid-season top thirties from Germany while my son was dealing with tuberculosis in the hospital. <laughs> I hospital was, in Germany I was doing lists from the hospital in Germany not calling people because I was in Germany communicating with people via email and I also to add to the degree of difficulty that was the year that Teddy Cahill left us for baseball America and Teddy had done 10 lists in the in the preseason but was not around at that point so I had to do five of Teddy's lists including four like one of them was I think the A's which I'd done the year before but four of them were teams I was just coming in cold so um, damn you Teddy. Yeah, come on, Teddy. But uh, yeah, that was yeah, so that, that was uh, a crazy time. And I broke my computer while I was over there, and had to find a replacement laptop to to, to work from. So uh, it was not good.
1: Yes, yeah, so, but your son was okay, right? Like that, he, he did just checking on Yes, yeah,
2: he, okay. yes. AJ is fine. He's he's thriving now in uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, with a with a very good job and two golden retrievers. So he, he all is well.
0: Yeah. So it's uh, hospital in Germany versus. Kibbutz and israel which is where jonathan has been doing his work so uh all right well let's actually dig into the top 100 prospects list a bit um so first of all from the very tip top there is a new number one and um this is a little unusual and I, i wish i'd gone back and done the research on this but uh i think you know Often, when there's a new number one, it's because someone has graduated and somebody moves into that number one spot. And then that.
2: Oh, you know, I I know what the precedent was for this. I know where you're going. But I. I, is, I it, what,
0: uh, is it maybe. It's got to be Corey Seager Seager Byron Buxton? Buxton?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, it wasn't Byron Buxton. I don't have the exact number. Counting the midseason lists, number one for four or five lists in a row. Um, and then he, he he started to get hurt, and Corey Seeger had the big breakout year. So we we moved Seager ahead of him. Um, and what, wasn't was he
0: was he one at bat away from from uh, or a couple, like,
2: something like that? Yeah, it was it was pretty close. And, and like we we all loved Byron Buxton as a prospect, but we were all like, please graduate like enough, you because know, he he kept getting hurt. We couldn't get him off the list, and he still had wondrous tools. But yeah, I think that was the last time that. The, the previous number one was dethroned rather than rather than graduated.
0: Yeah, Buxton was the number one overall prospect, starting with the midseason list in two thousand thirteen, uh, and then preseason and midseason in both two thousand fourteen and fifteen, and he was still eligible going into the two thousand sixteen season when he ranks behind. Corey Seager. So, and
2: I and I argued for him. I mean, I I remember like I could not quit Byron Buxton because the tools were so good. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't like Jonathan and I had a big you know big fight over it. But I was I was seriously lobbying lobbying for Byron Buxton, um, who I still think if he has a fully healthy season, very well could win the MVP one of these years.
0: Yeah, I was going to say you know even in those in his first several. Big league seasons, you're just always wanting to see him, you know, capitalize on those tools and, and simply stay healthy to be able to do it, and uh, kind of getting a, a glimpse of that. But yeah, both of those guys have turned out uh, quite nice. Um, but yeah, so this year, the number one prospect uh, as of last year's midseason list was Adley Rutschman and uh, i know he certainly garnered consideration for that number one spot Uh, and i think jim and sam that going into the process of putting this list together during the off season is it fair to say that he was in your minds going to be number one at the beginning of the process
2: did sam did you vote for wit initially i think three of the four of us voted you know, Will Bohr was also involved with this. Voted for
1: for Rutschman, but am I correct in remembering that you voted for Wit? I wasn't going to bring it up, but yes. Oh yes, I was. No yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I was the one guy who had Wit uh, at the beginning of the process, but it was close. I mean, you kind of have to start from the place of the guy who is number one should deserve to still be number one unless something really went wrong, and nothing really went wrong with Adley. It, it was just for me and stuff we're going to get to here in a second, I'm sure, but uh, Wit had just come on so strong and had such a great ending to the year at a similar level that um, Wit got my vote at the start of the process.
2: It's also crazy, honestly. When Rutschman was the number one pick in 2019, I would not have thought there'd really be any way he'd still be eligible for the prospect list going into the 2022 season. I mean, obviously, I did not forecast the pandemic, um, but I, I would have thought he'd be in the big leagues by now.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the that's the big thing is that you know, there, there is a world out there, a universe, a world two or however you want to put it, that he graduated in August last year and wit had started out at low way the previous year and climbed his way up and didn't have to do it at an alternate site. But uh I mean he's already yeah.
2: twenty-four. I'm just looking at he's already twenty-four. I mean a great prospect. I'm not knocking Allie Rutschman. And and the, the the next guy who's even twenty-three is O'Neal Cruz, who's at number 26 on the list. I mean, the, the, the top of the top 100 is usually a, a young prospect's game, um, but the pandemic just goofs so many things up.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about uh, sort of the composition of the list, and that's one of the things I want to touch on it a little bit, but let's let's do dig into this number one uh, discussion. And uh, Sam, you started to touch on it a bit, but and I know you guys have, have talked about this quite a bit, uh, you guys, you did a roundtable, um, which we put into story form and uh, discussed why Witt was number one and how why he did overtake Richmond. And then also the fact that uh, at least some consideration was given to Julio Rodriguez as well. But tell us a little bit about how it ended up that Witt became ranked number one over Richmond.
2: I mean, we, we always get industry feedback and we just got, I mean, it wasn't overwhelming, but it was enough. You know, I mean, I don't remember. We probably had feedback from 25 or 30 people. Not every one of them commented on Witten versus Richmond versus Julio, but it was strong enough for us to say, you know what? Like, if that's what we're we're getting, it's so close that, okay, let's go ahead and do that. Now, I, I, Sam, I mean, you know, as we noted, you know, you had Wit number one on your original list. Why did you go Wit over Rutschman? You know, especially as you said, Rutschman was number one and he didn't really do anything to to lose the distinction. But you know, why did Wit you know seize it from him in, in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the way I would want to frame this: is that Wit won this. Rutschman didn't lose it. It was definitely Wit going up and grabbing the number one spot for us. Uh, I mean, we can go through all of his individual tools and and why he is. And even in consideration for this, they're five plus tools. It's plus plus power at this point. He's a real 30-30 candidate, not only in the minor leagues like he was last year, in the major leagues, and that's probably going to be for multiple years. When you're talking about that, it's MVP-level stuff. Um, He plays a premium position at shortstop. But the big thing for me was that when we did the midseason list, he was just getting to AAA. And, you know, he got it off to a kind of slow start at AA, worked his way up. Was one of the best hitters at AA by midseason. Got called up to AAA Omaha, but we hadn't seen him enough there. Um, by the end of the season, he was almost as good at AAA as he was at AA, maybe even better. Um, that was one of the great things about seeing Bobby Witt Jr. last year was the adjustments he made throughout the season. A lot of people complained about uh, swing and miss issues with him, and like he might not have as good a hit tool as we think. It held up really well at. at Upper levels. And as you were talking about earlier, Jim, he's two and a half years younger than Hadley Rutschman. If he well, was it's a crazy thing,
2: eight... too, yeah, was, go I, mean, I was going to say to me, the most remarkable part about a very remarkable season was people forget he only played in rookie ball, like, you know, in 2019. And, he, and he, I think he was a little tired. His high school season went past the draft or right up to the draft. His team won the state championship. and And, and he looked a little tired during his pro debut in the Arizona League. And then he didn't get to play in 2020. And then it's like, OK, we're going to send you to double A. Like, you know, for his full season debut, he skipped two full levels well, really three if you want to count the, the short season level that used to exist and, and didn't miss a beat. So, I mean, th- that to me is just a testament to how good uh, a player he is.
1: Yeah. And if you remember a year ago, I mean, this was hyperbole, but he was so good in spring training that there were Royals fans wondering, can he open the year with the big league club? That wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to jump from the Arizona league straight to Kansas City. But I remember talking to Kansas City officials last spring and just being like, so what are you going to do? And they're saying, we literally have debates about this every day. Should we send him to double A AA or triple A? And I was like, that those are the two levels you're debating. And they're like, yeah, it's double A AA or triple A for him. It just shows you how advanced he was at the beginning of the season. And again, the way he grew throughout the year um, to become a, a very good AAA hitter uh, in essentially his age 20 season is phenomenal. It's not something we see very often. It's you know a multi-hyphenate player. He can do multiple things. I know he's likely going to open the year at third base just because of organizational need. He would play shortstop in almost any other organization. He's that good there. The arm's very good there. It's going to certainly play at third base. Um, maybe the difference is you know Adley Rushman might become one of the best defensive catchers right away, uh, but uh, you know Bobby Witt Jr. has that speed. He has all five tools in a way that uh, Rushman does not.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, there's no wrong answer here. I mean, it, it, we've talked about some of this stuff before, but to me, it's the best top three we've had since since nineteen. I mean, 19, 2018, when our top three guys were Shohei Itani, Ronald Acuna and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which is like a crazy good. Um, You know, before Acuna got hurt, you could argue that those might have been your your three best players in baseball last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, I look at this like I still can make a very strong case for Adley to be number one because I think it's harder to find a catcher than it is to find a shortstop. Not that shortstop's an easy position to find. I just think Adley's. I mean, they're both so rare at their positions. I just think catchers are harder to find. I mean, I've said this a bunch, but I think Rutschman in my – as I'm trying to do the math here in my head, I've covered the draft going back to like 1988, 1989. Allie Rutschman has the best tools of any catcher to come out of the draft, better than Posey, better than Maurer. And (laughs) Bobby Witt has the best tools of any shortstop except for A-Rod. And I don't think – I don't know how long I'm going to live, but if I live for another 50 years, I don't think I'm going to ever see a, a draft prospect as good as A-Rod. Like he's kind of the the gold standard. And then I think you could also make a case, you know, I think Julio Rodriguez is the best offensive player of the three of them. Um, I think he's probably got, he's the best pure hitter of those guys. And I think he's probably, his power's right there with with, with them as well. And he plays a less demanding position, which is why I think we ranked in third. But if you want to just look at counting numbers at the end of their big league careers, like, you know, who's the best bet to get 3,000 hits or hit 600 home runs? It might be Julio Rodriguez. So um, it, it's just funny. I mean, you, we, we knew we were going to get this reaction. Like, whichever guy we picked, the other two fan bases were going to be like, oh, like, what a bunch of idiots. and. It doesn't. We love all these guys. Any one of them could have been number one.
0: Jim, you fully answered my question and a follow-up question before I even got to ask them, <laughs> so. which was going to which was going to be you know these guys, uh, Rutschman, and Witt both play premium positions, but just looking at offensive potential alone, would you say that that J Rod is the best? Uh, the best of the group, and and you answered that completely. So don't an, don't answer it again. <laughs> I will not. Uh, then, all right. So uh, we have talked about the top three here, and we do. Well, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about next up on the list, uh, number four and five, are a pair of Tigers prospects, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, and they're in that order. 4 5 Torkelson Green. Was there much deliberation there as to who should come next?
1: I feel like no. I, I think we've, I mean, there's going to be some consideration for, you know, especially because I feel like that is that next tier. We do have those guys. When you look at their overall grades, they're 65 grades. They're the start of that 65 tier. And then it's basically them and them alone. Grayson Rodriguez is at 60. Um, So we have those guys kind of neck and neck. But I think we always had Torgelson above. I mean, we had him last year. That's been the case since he was drafted. Um, I kind of in the the argument for Julio Rodriguez is the argument for Spencer Torkelson very different positions, obviously corner outfield versus first base, but those guys are going to need to hit. And if anybody's going to hit in the minor leagues, we feel like it's those two guys. Um, Torque has the better power than green. I think that's what gives him the leg up here. They're both bat first profiles. Um, but if you want to make the case for green, I mean, there's an off chance that he plays center field. Um, he has the arm for it. he, his instincts are pretty good in the outfield that he could be a serviceable center fielder, in which case he doesn't need to hit as much, but he will anyways, and he'll be of more value. Um, But we just feel like it's not a a guarantee. We're never going to say that, but the Torkelson's bat is definitely going to play in the major leagues. The power is definitely going to play. He's got 30, 35, maybe even 40 homer potential. Um, And betting on a more sure thing is something we were kind of leaning on there.
2: Yeah, although it's it's tough. I mean, I go back and forth on that one in my head too, because you know we just talked about how the reason we had Witt and Rutschman ahead of Julio Rodriguez is because they play a position of greater value. And I guess if you felt if you felt Riley Green was a slam dunk center fielder and compared him to Torkelson, who's a first baseman, yeah, you know, Green might be a slightly better pure hitter. I mean, Torkelson's got more power, but Green still could be a thirty homer guy it's close. I mean, I think even the Tigers wrestle with that one a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We could tweak either of these guys and say, what if Torque was a 50 hitter with 70 power, well then green would definitely be ahead. Or what if green had a 55 run tool and was a slightly better chance to be center fielder then yeah, he would be ahead. But the way it stands, it's, it's, it's so close in, in determining those guys. And I I do think it's more likely likely than not that green ends up at a corner.
2: Yeah, and I do too. And then that's why, if like I said, if if I felt convicted, he's definitely a center fielder, then I'd, I'd, I'd be really close to flipping him. Um, but I think in the end, I, I think he'll be a, a good defender on the corners more than an average guy up the middle.
0: Do you guys feel like Green closed the gap a bit last season on Torkelson?
2: I, I kind of felt like they were neck and neck. I just know – from talking to Tigers people the year before during the year of the alternate site, there were Tigers people, I mean, they were thrilled to get Torkelson, but they're like, you know, Riley Green looks like he might be the better player out here. I mean, it. I, I just think that they're very, very close. And like I said, it, it's it's kind of matter of taste. Um, I mean, I do think, you know, talking about degree of difficulty with, with seasons guys had <laughs> Torkelson, you, you know, It's kind of funny. Torples is number one overall pick, and he comes out with no pro experience and gets to AAA and hits 30 home runs. Um,
0: I I was going to say it was a quiet 30 home runs, wasn't it?
2: I I think maybe because he did it at three levels. But, you know, he got to AAA. He drew walks. I mean, he didn't – you know, he hit only 267. But, like, considering that he made his pro debut and he hit 30 home runs and got to AAA, that's – a really really impressive year and yet you know he wasn't quite in that conversation to be the number one overall prospect so I mean it's, it's you know it's nice it's if you're a Tigers fan you know it's kind of funny it's like last year when we were talking about guys it was who would you rather have Jared Kelnick or Julio Rodriguez and now it's like who would you rather have Torkelson or Alec Green and the easy answer is like if you're a Tigers fan it doesn't matter because you just get to enjoy them both
1: and one thing we should say quickly about Torgelson too—he's still only 22. He's not turning 23 until August. Like he was pretty young for his draft class coming out of college. Um, so it's not like he was—he needed to rise that quickly as a college bat. He's—he was still really young for the level by the time he hit Triple A, and he was slugging above 500 there too. So uh, you know that that only earns him extra credit. And I think the fact that he is full time first base now, we don't have to worry about third base defense is you know, not necessarily a credit to him because he is going to have to hit more at first base than he would at third, but um, it's just kind of nice to know exactly where he's going to be. And A.J. Hinch has even said, like, he's a first baseman. He is our future at that position, and we can kind of stop the third base charade anymore.
0: Okay, so those guys are four and five, Torkelson and Green. And then we have our first pitcher on the list, number six, Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles followed by our first catcher, Gabriel Marino of the Blue Jays. And then our we have a pair of shortstops and Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, C.J. Abrams of the Padres, and then another catcher, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets. Um, and three catchers in the top ten uh, leads to discussion of one trend, which is that we have more catchers on a preseason top 100 prospects list than we have ever had um, additionally one i mentioned the first pitcher on the list and only one in the top 10 this is an extremely hitter heavy top 100 prospects list um, there are only 29 pitchers i believe is that is that even possible did i did i note this correctly i think i took this from Jonathan's story.
2: I will say uh, I've not counted them up, so I will take your. That's 21
0: word. right-handers, and eight left-handers, um, which is the fewest number of pitchers we've ever had on a top 100 prospects list. Uh, so the most catchers ever, the fewest pitchers ever. Um, what's uh, what's going on here? How uh, we've gone from. When we did our first, when we expanded from a top 50 list to a top 100 list back in 2012, we had 48 pitchers on the list, and there there were 40 or more pitchers on both the preseason and midseason top 100s, all the way until we got uh, midseason 2019, dropped to 36, and there's been uh, 36, 37, 39, 39. And then at midseason last year, just 30 pitchers and now down to 29. Uh, This this seems like a a pretty significant trend here.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's not like we're sitting there when we're doing this saying, okay, like, you know, look, pitchers are riskier and there's attrition. So we're just going to load up on hitters. I mean, this just kind of happened organically. But I mean, I mean, look, we could come up with there are pitchers who just missed a list. But I was going to say, I mean, you could also look at the fact that like, you can make a case that maybe Mackenzie Gore, who, who dropped a bunch, should have dropped off, and you know maybe uh, Emerson Hancock of the Mariners, you know, shouldn't be on here anymore. Um, so you could argue against some of the pitchers who who are on the list too and and, and had fewer. I just you know and, it, and you know the, the thing, the first thing that jumped in my head is we're not going to be adding a bunch more probably this year because at least from the draft because the college pitching class is decimated by by injuries i mean literally no one ranked in our current top 40 spots on the draft top 100 who's a college pitcher is pitching and there's no forecast of when any of them are going to return to the mound like i think the only one who might return to the mound is blade tidwell of tennessee who i think is working his way back from a shoulder injury but we don't know the severity of the injury and there's no timetable for his return and everybody else is just out um Carson Wisnett, who we'd mentioned at ECU, suspended, um, and he's done for the year. Um, so I don't think we're going to be adding a bunch of pitchers from this year's draft. There are some high school guys, some high school arms, but you know, I just, I, I just think it's more cyclical than anything. I, I don't think we'll ever. I think with the way we put together our list, I don't know if we'll ever have forty-eight pitchers on the list again. But I, I think maybe we will climb to the high thirties again. I mean,
1: what do you think, Sam? Yeah, I think it is just cyclical. I, part of it is is how we evaluate pitching now and and the fact that, you know, there are more multi-inning relievers and and, and openers, and there's many ways to use pitchers now than there used to be. Um, so if you are going to be a legit pitching prospect, you have to be somebody who is going to get the ball every fifth day and is capable of pitching five, six innings and, and turning that lineup up two or, lineup two or three times. And, you know, I look at somebody like, Aaron Ashby of the Brewers, who probably had the stuff to be a top 100 prospect, but the way the Brewers used him at the end of the year was as a reliever. Um, They flipped him up and down a a few times last year, using him in starting roles, using him out of the bullpen. Uh, And I think that kind of clouds how we could potentially see him. Now the Brewers could treat him like they did, you know, Corbin Burns and, and some of their other pitchers who they opened up in the bullpen and eventually got them starting roles. And I know they've said that this year, but, I think just the way pitchers are used now, it's a little bit harder to judge them and, and how they're and you know how we're going to project them moving forward. Um, and if it is just somebody who's going to turn a lineup over once, well, that's not as valuable as somebody who could just be a slightly above average third baseman. Um, so I think that does happen. That does figure into this a little bit. But still, the idea of we're never going to get 30 pitching prospects again in the top 100, I'm sure that's going to happen again at some point. Um, A lot of this is cyclical. Like, Jason, you brought up, we have a lot of catchers this year. I don't think there's any trend going on with catchers. I think this is just a really, really strong catching class. There are a lot of guys who can hit. There are some guys who are really athletic and and really good fielders, and that's what drives their profile. Um, There's no real trend in catchers. There's just multiple different versions of them, and a lot of them are really good. Um, and that's just the cycle we're in right now. So there might be some s- smaller trends moving on in the background, but, you know, sometimes the, these are all snapshots of a single time. And sometimes you can get some pretty weird variants in there as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, with the catchers, I mean, I do think it's the strongest we've seen in a while. You know, we, I think we had a maybe a mailbag question on a previous podcast, and we talked about this a little bit. But, you know, MLB.com was not doing top 100s. Uh, back in 2010, they were doing top 50s. But when I was at Baseball America, that year we had three catchers in the top 10 and 12 in the top 100. And the three in the top 10 were <laughs> – Jesus Montero was ranked number four. That one didn't pan out too well. Um, but Buster Posey was seven and Carlos Santana was 10. And it was interesting because I don't, I don't have that complete list in front of me right now, but I remember when we looked at it, a lot of those catchers didn't pan out. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if this – years uh you know plethora of catchers is is better than the 2010 crop which was was also equally deep all
0: right i I do feel like there are definitely people out there listening to this podcast right now uh, who have been chanting there is no such thing as a pitching prospect all right we are going to take a break when we come back we're going to discuss some of the newcomers on the list some of the highest risers and some of the biggest falls that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage
0: match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra, uh, who, along with Jonathan Mayo and William Bohr, put together this year's top 100 prospects list and that's what we're talking about today as that just came out uh, recently and there's so much to discuss here Uh, a few things we want to talk about are some of the new additions to the list uh, some of the guys who took big jumps from last year to this year and some of the guys who fell a long way from last year's preseason list to this year's preseason list Uh, as far as newcomers go guys this surprised me. I didn't. I didn't realize this um, until Jonathan uh, wrote his breakdown of the list that three of our top eleven prospects this year were not on the top one hundred prospects list entering last season, and that that does not include obviously uh, guys who were drafted or signed as international free agents in uh, that in the interim. Uh, is this, uh, Jim? Does that does that strike you as? As odd uh, as something that uh, has probably not occurred too often, that three guys in the top 11 overall uh, would have made that big of a leap?
2: Yeah, it, it does. I, I i mean, we haven't done the the research, but I would say it probably hasn't happened. I mean, Noel V. Marte was, I think, the closest of the, th- of the three. You know, the other two are, are Gabriel Moreno and Anthony Volpe. And Marte was the closest and he was a big-ticket international guy. Um, You know, just the issue with him was he'd only played in the DSL. He might not be a long-term shortstop. And, you you know, we liked him. You can make a case for him. And I think our attitude was, okay, let's let him kind of prove it in full-season ball and see how he looks defensively because if he doesn't rake and he's not a shortstop, you know, we we basically want him to prove it. So that's what happened with him. I mean, the other two guys – I guess Moreno would have been the second closest, and he had a good year. I mean, again, none of these guys played in 2020, which made it difficult. But in, in 2019, he had a pretty good year as a 19-year-old in 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 the Midwest League, which was low A at that point. But it wasn't to the point where you were like, okay, you know, we're going to rank this guy. Um, yeah, he, he, I don't think he was particularly close, and, and Volpe wasn't close at all. I mean, I keep laughing about the fact about how good he became, but I mean, he, you know, he, the guy just is an incredible worker who remade his swing and remade his body during the pandemic downtime and came back just stronger and hitting the ball, you know, harder and better than ever, and went from kind of your, he wasn't like your scrappy gamer, but it was more like okay, it's good tools and a high baseball IQ to like. Hey, this guy might be a, you know, two eighty to three hundred, you know, twenty five to thirty home run guy, and I know because I've written this a bunch of times. I had Anthony Volpe at number eleven on our Yankees list, not on the top one hundred, on our Yankees list going into last year, and now we have him as a number eight prospect in baseball.
1: I, I think the biggest issue here is just that that missed two thousand twenty, right? Like you, you talk about Noelvi Marte needing to prove himself. Well, we just didn't get to see it in 2020. Um, so that, that jump from the DSL uh, to full season ball is going to be a major question mark. Volpe probably in a normal year would have maybe opened at low A. Maybe he would have been short season in, an, in a regular 2020, but um, again, we would have been able to see it. Moreno, uh, we were hearing whispers about how good and athletic he was looking behind the plate uh, you know, at, at the Toronto alternate site, but like, how was he going to break out with the bat? Was that really going to hold up? We would have seen it first. We would have seen him in that, those middle levels, probably high A or double A. Um, and we were just robbed of that opportunity. So the breakouts for a lot of these guys could have happened in 2020. They just weren't able to. And so that's why when they were finally able to break out this year, it felt like a shock just because we hadn't seen them in two years. All
0: right, so uh... – In addition to three in the top 11, there were 10 of the top 50 and 40 new names this year on the list in total. Um, And as Jonathan noted in his story, you know, that's after a full year of information and data on the heels of that lost 2020 season, as you say, Sam. Um, As far as the highest risers go, Uh, So these are guys who are already on the list and made made big jumps. Um, Quite a few of these guys as well. And uh, Jim and Sam, I know uh, you want to spotlight uh, a couple of those guys now. Um, Sam, you, you want to tell us about a pitcher who made a big jump?
1: Yeah, yeah, I want to talk about Kate Cavalli real quick. Um, you know, I, I know he was a first round pick for Washington a few years ago. Uh, I loved having a conversation with him down in spring training when I was down there in West Palm Beach uh, a little while ago. And one thing that stood out to me when I spoke to him was he was a two way player at Oklahoma. Uh, we knew that, uh, but he, even he said he's still growing into pitching. He's still trying to find his way on the mound. And last year he found his way pretty good. He was he was the minor league strikeout leader. Um, across the board, led all minor leaguers in strikeouts. Climbed three levels. Had some control issues by the end. I think one of the things he has to learn, and he even said this himself, was, you know, he has really special stuff. It's four above average to plus to plus plus pitches. Uh, he throws a slider. He throws a curveball. Multiple breaking balls. It, it all goes off field. He gives himself multiple options. But when he was going at high A and Double A. He could blow it past guys because they couldn't handle that movement. You go to AAA, guys are going to be more patient. They're going to kind of spit on your breaking stuff, and they might sit heater. So if you're constantly trying to get swings and misses out of the zone, those are going to be balls at AAA. Um, So he's still learning that process. But the fact that he was able to take to pitching so well last year, carry his VLO gains being mid to upper 90s throughout the season, Um, Again, showing a good changeup, showing a good curveball, showing a good slider. All the pieces are there. I think going into last year, we thought there was some reliever risk. There still might be, um, but the way he was holding up from beginning to end was really, really special last year in the national system. And, you know, he could be potentially that homegrown ace that they need if this rebuild is going to be successful.
0: Well, he – I think – Maybe raise some eyebrows. Uh, we, we, we got a lot of uh, sort of feedback uh, when we posted uh, a quote of his, uh, Sam, uh, about a week ago, I guess, when he said, I say this very humbly, but I feel like I'm going to be right along with Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Scherzer. So uh, not not lacking in confidence.
1: Yeah, and the, I it was on video. So the, I would encourage people to go see how he said it. Um, Cause it wasn't like him brushing off his own shoulders. It it was self-confidence. Like I like hearing that from a guy because it gives him goals. It gives him something to strive for. And um, you know, it, it's not him saying I'm going to be those guys tomorrow. It's, that's who I'm trying to be. It's, those are the guys he studies. They're real power pitchers. He is a power pitcher. He fits in that mold. He's got a big, strong body to make it work. Um, why not try to throw yourself that type of comp and make yourself into that type of guy. I didn't read it as I'm going to be in the Cooperstown someday. It's that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm here for every day. That's my motivation. Um, and you know, all the power to him for saying that.
0: Yeah. I don't think there are too many guys that get to where they are to be on a list like this that don't have those goals and aspirations. Right. Um, Jim, uh, someone that, uh, Sticks out to you on this list of the highest risers on this year's top 100 prospects list?
2: Yeah, for me it would be Alec Thomas, who you know I've been following since he was, you know, Illinois high school product. Uh, saw him at the Under Armour game. The years run together, so it's I can't remember. Like it would have been, I think the 2017 Under Armour All American game. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting to me. Like he was. I don't have disrespected his right word but like I, I, like I don't feel like he's really ever gotten his due like he didn't you know he had won the best high school bats in that draft and he's a pretty good athlete but he didn't quite go in the first round. he was a second round pick he lasted 63 picks which he deserved to probably go about 30 at least 30 spots higher than that and then you know even when he came into pro ball and, and has played great I mean his pro debut he came out hit 333 two rookie ball stops first full season hit 300, 10 home runs, got to high eight, at age 19. Um, you know, it was funny. You know, the Dimebacks drafted Corbin Carroll, and you kept hearing Corbin Carroll, Corbin Carroll, Corbin Carroll, and even Christian Robinson. And, you know, I, I like Corbin Carroll a lot too. Like, I like the fact that we have Alec Thomas one spot ahead of Corbin Carroll because Corbin Carroll has been hurt, and he hasn't proven himself nearly to the extent of, of Alec Thomas, who last year got to AAA at age 21. and. Hit three. I mean, Alec Thomas is a career three twelve hitter, and I don't think he's going to be a super slugger. But you know, if, if people question the power, he did hit eighteen home runs last year as a twenty one year old playing in Double A AA and Triple A. And, and oh, by the way, he had fifty nine extra base hits. So there's going to be power there, and he can run. I mean, the only thing Alec Thomas can't really do is throw. It's a below average arm. But I mean, this is a, a guy with, you know, it's plus bat, it's plus run, it's it's plus center field. You know, maybe it's fifty five power that's a pretty good player. Like if I could pick a tool that's, you know, if I had to discard one of the five tools for an outfielder, a guy like that, if he wants to have a 40 arm, that guy's still a really good player. So I I think people, you know, I guess people, I guess we were too, you could say late to the party, but like all this guy's done is hit. And the power's gotten better every year. And he's, he's showed he can run and play center field and do all these things. So I think he's, he's, I think he's been slept on a little bit and and I'm glad that's not the case anymore.
0: So those are two of six prospects who moved up 50 or more spots from the 2021 preseason list to the 2022 preseason list. Uh, No one made a bigger jump than Shane Boz who went from number 90 on last year's list all the way to number 12 on this year's list uh, the others who made jumps of at least 50 spots, Brett Beatty, um, that's third base prospect, uh, Mariners right-hander, George Kirby, who jumped 60 spots and angels, lefty Reed Detmers who jumped 53 spots. And well, now we're going to, we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum. Guys who fell off the list plummeted, uh, biggest, biggest drops, um, There were 23 players uh, who were on last year's list and are still eligible. Of course, there are several who graduated, uh, but 23 players who are still eligible that were on the 2021 preseason top 100 list and are not on the 2022 list. And that group is headlined by a couple of Braves outfielders, Christian Pache
1: Oh, yeah, well, right.
0: (laughs) Oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. Christian Pache recently traded Christian Pache and and Drew Waters. Um, Both fell off the list, as did uh, Guardians prospect Nolan Jones, uh, longtime member of the top 100 prospects list, Forrest Whitley of the Astros, uh, Jeter Downs of the Red Sox. Uh, Guys, I had had initially – frame this as uh, which of these guys who fell off the list are you most confident could make a comeback? And we decided to scrap that question because there's a reason they fell off the list.
2: Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I mean, you basically have serious concerns about the bats of, you know, the four hitters you just mentioned and Forrest Whitley had Tommy John surgery. And didn't pitch the year before that pandemic, and has been an enigma for a while. Um, so, uh, you know, who knows what to make of him?
0: Yeah, so I, I, I said that we we decided to scrap it. We we nearly decided to scrap it, but I'm, I'm putting the screws on you guys. Who of the guys who did fall, someone that that you believe does have a chance to to rebound?
2: Uh-huh. Well, I went. I went. I Jonathan didn't list every player in his article, and because I, I, I'm greatly concerned about all the guys you mentioned, but so I, I went off the list and I kind of took a cop out. I mean, I know I just said, you know, Forrest Whitley had Tommy John surgery, but he was also very enigmatic for that. But I, I went with Matt, like for me, I'll go with Matt Allen of the Mets, who you know was showing, you know, great stuff, you know, was I think our top-ranked high school pitcher in the 2019 draft, you know, went in the third round because of assignability reasons. But, you know, he was, you know, mid-90s with great carry on the fastball, you know, uh, flashy, well above average, curveball at times, uh, really made progress with the change, threw strikes. I mean, you know, he was in great position, and then he blew out. But, you know, he doesn't have the – the long uh, track record of being an enigma that Forrest Whitley did. So I'll I'll bank on him returning from Tommy John surgery since the, the, you know, it's a fairly successful surgery. And he looked so good before he got hurt. Um, You know, the reports on him were so good. Um, Although, I mean, it's crazy. He's pitched after three pro seasons, he's pitched 10 innings because of the pandemic and Tommy John surgery and signing late. So I'll go with
1: Matt Allen. I'm going, going to go with one that I'm sure Jim is going to either roll his eyes at or be upset with in some way. But I, I still believe in Pache to some degree. Um, I know we have questions You believe he's going that. to hit? I Well, I think he's going to hit enough. Like, I think he really is a gold glove caliber center fielder. Like, that has a pretty high floor. It's plus-plus speed. He doesn't use it that well on the base pass. He's not as aggressive as a base dealer as he probably could be for his, uh, you know, his wheels, but... I think if you were to put him in center field today, he would carry value in the major leagues. I know he's been in the major leagues at some point. He actually has postseason experience. It, It hasn't been great. But looking at what he did last year when he was 22, it was still WRC plus of 100, which is pretty good for a guy who was essentially a college senior at the minor's highest level. Looking at what he did over the last two months of the season, he batted 296 with a 787 OPS. It seemed like it was tracking up. It's still, it's not great power. He had five homers in 44 games over that span, so it, it's not quite playing to that level. Um, I don't think he's going to be necessarily like a 280 hitter in the majors or anything like that. Um, but he's just so athletic that I think there's a chance he figures it out offensively, even if he ends up being a 90 WRC plus guy. The glove is going to be so good uh, that I think he could be, you know, a, a, the starting center fielder in Oakland for a long time. I think he's a great fit for that outfield. It's huge. It's massive. Lots of ground to cover. Um, his arm's going to work there if he ne- really needs to go into the gaps. Uh, that's not necessarily how we factor into top 100 discussion, and I'm not saying the trade would have you know, altered how we view him, but uh, I just think he has such a high floor because of the athleticism, and uh, he still has age on his side, and I think there's still a chance he figures it out offensively. I don't think it's a guarantee by any means. I, I'm fully – on board with him being off the top 100. Um, but I think there's a slight chance that he ends up being somebody still.
2: I see. I mean, I, I think, I mean, see, I, I agree. I mean, he does offer a lot of value in terms of the defense. I mean, the defense is really, really good. Um, so I don't, I don't disagree. I did roll my eyes at you. You can see it.
1: But, um, <laughs> I could see I, it through the computer screen. Really I
2: don't, don't I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that part of that. I just, I just worry about the offense Even like, to me, if he figures it out and hits for more average, I still don't see power. I don't see good swing decisions, so I, like I, I don't see him being more in like a maybe a 260 hitter. He doesn't translate the speed. I mean, he he doesn't steal bases. He doesn't draw walks that much. So it's, it's like even if he gets to 250 or 260, I don't know that he's doing a whole lot else. And it just might be tough to play that guy on an everyday basis if you, if 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 I'm, if I'm, if I'm correct and just ton of people around baseball, like, like obviously the A's have some faith in him, but like, even before the trade, like when we were getting feedback in the top 100, there were people saying, ah, you know, shouldn't be on the list. You know, I, I haven't heard too many people advocate for his bad. I guess is what I'm trying to say, but it's, it'll be interesting because it's, you know, now we have more ways to measure defensive value, So Maybe those guys are appreciated a little bit more, but I just, I don't know. I don't, have, I don't have a great feeling about the offensive game.
0: All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to look ahead a little bit. We want to look at some guys who could shoot up this list and some guys who could join the list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast, Jim Callis, Sam Dykstra, and I'm Jason Ratliff, and we are still talking about the top 100 prospects list that just came out uh, after a lot of hard work and a lot of discussion with a lot of people. That list is out on MLB.com slash pipeline. We're also in the process of rolling out our top 30 prospects list over the course of this week and next week, and then we're going to rank the farm systems, all 30 of them. Uh, That'll be coming up right after the rollout of the top 30 prospects list. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Now back to the top 100 prospects list. We want to talk about some guys who are on the list and Jim and Sam, you think could make big leaps over the course of this season. Uh, Jim, who you got?
2: Well, I'm going to go with the recency bias because today I think I saw the best pitching performance I've ever seen on a minor league backfield And I was joking with you guys before we started that if we were still working on the top 100, I'd be like, guys, we got to run Daniel Espino up the list. Now, I wouldn't seriously advocate for running him up the list based on two innings on the backfield. But this was the highlight of my spring training trip so far in Arizona. So he's facing the Reds today. I I interviewed him before, before the game, a few hours before the game. Great interview, too. We'll have that on our site. So, so you were the you
0: were the good luck charm is that what you're getting at
2: i, I well know because i mean he, we he's had great stuff for a while it's not just what i'm around but anyway so i'm like i was excited when the, when the Indian were, see i just called them the indians the guardians um told me he's gonna pitch day too i'm like this is great so i i, I went and watched him pitch so nixon you know, you'll have it on the backfields especially early in spring training for the big leaguers Sometimes they'll go get at-bats in like a double-A backfields game. So first batter he faces is Nick Senzel, and he faced Nick Senzel twice. They kind of had him face batters and throw pitches. I mean, he got not 10 outs because one guy reached against him on a walk and got caught stealing, but he got 10 outs in two innings. And, and he made Nick Senzel look like – poor Nick Senzel. The first at-bat he struck him out on 102-mile-an-hour fastball. And then the second at-bat, he struck him out on a 93-mile-an-hour slider. But I, I'm just looking here at my notes. So he strikes out Nick Senzel, 102-mile-an-hour uh, fastball. And he faced a lot of these guys were were the Reds' better position prospects. Jose Torres, out of last year's draft, struck him out on like a 80-something-mile-an-hour curve. Then Matt Nelson, who was a sandwich pick last year, struck out a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Um, in between that, Jay Allen got on, on a walk. He was a supplemental first-round pick, too. He got caught stealing. And then the next inning, they let Senzel lead off against him again. That was a 93-mile-an-hour slider. He made Nick Quintana look bad on a power curve. Tyler Callahan, who's a good hitter, just credit, smoked the ball to first base that got caught. Then Reese Hines, who's another good prospect, struck out on a 91-mile-an-hour slider. And then he wrapped it up with Austin Callahan, who's not related to Tyler Callahan, struck out on a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It It was just ridiculous. Um, so he's my pick to click. I know I keep saying that by the end of this year, Yuri Perez could be the top pitching prospect baseball and he could, but Daniel Espino, and it's not like this is uncommon stuff for him. Daniel Espino could be the best pitching prospect in baseball by the end of this year too. And and like I said, (laughs) that's the best pitching performance I've ever seen on the backfield. You know, the command could have been a little bit better, You know, like, like he threw. I I didn't. I wasn't tracking pitches. It wasn't like you know, pinpoint type command, but but he wasn't wild either. And the pure stuff, it was just ridiculous. I mean, Nick Sundell had no shot against it. Jim's got a new prospect crush. I I do. I'm yeah. I was very excited by Daniel Espino today.
0: Okay, Sam. uh, Who's one guy on the top one hundred prospects prospect list that you think could uh, make a big leap this year?
1: Yeah, so I guess I'm staying in the state of Ohio. Um, this is a very Ohio-centric portion of the podcast. I'm going with Red's prospect, Ellie De La Cruz, uh, who checks in right now at number 76 on our top 100. Um, certainly could see him bumping up higher. Part of the reason why he's in in my mind is we did, back when the top 10 positional list came out, um, we each took a positional group. I had third baseman. Uh, we break that down by best tools among third baseman and his name came up many times on that list. Uh, it was there for best run tool. It was there for best arm tool. It was there for best fielding tool. Uh, there's a case to be made that, you know, he has above average hit and above average power on top of that. It's not necessarily going to fit in the best tools among third baseman, but it's still above average as a switch hitter. Uh, he's 20 years old. Now just got his first taste of full season ball last year at low a Daytona and um, Slugged 477 there. I think the power is going to play pretty quick. Again, it's a hit power co- – or it's a power-speed combo um, out of that spot. We list him as a third baseman right now. There's potential for him to play shortstop. There's maybe even some potential to play center field because he is that that athletic. We're going to get to see a full season of L.A. David Cruz this year, and if he does anything to, to match the numbers that he put up last year, again, slugging over 400 in what is – was, was once called the Florida state league. It's now back to being called the Florida state league, uh, which is a pitcher's environment. If they decide to move him up to high A and he's, I think the slugging numbers could certainly take off there in a more hitter friendly space. Um, but yeah, De La Cruz is just really, really tooled up. He's just kind of what we were saying before about Noel V Marte. We just need to see him prove it. We just need to see him do more and be out there more and get more at bats and, if he does it, if if he does slide over to shortstop or if they do switch him to center field at some point in 2022, it's not really going to matter because that only raises uh, his potential and, and who he could be as an athlete. So the pieces are all there. All that's missing is the experience, and that's definitely coming here in only a matter of weeks.
0: All right, so that's a couple of guys who are already on the list that you guys think could – shoot up the list over the course of this year. How about some guys that are not on the list yet, uh, but you expect to see them there by season's end? Well, Jim, I've, one guy. One guy. Now, I know. Well, I was going to say, you I'm going to two I'm guys, down in,
2: our, yeah, well, know, two guys say, down in our document. I know. I, well, I wrote it down before I was told only one guy. And I, I just want, you know, like remember I held last week when we had the 62nd rule, for part of the discussion I adhered perfectly to the 60 second rule so I will I will not break down Dustin Harris who I've talked about plenty on this podcast and I will go with James Triantos of the Cubs I think is a guy who could could jump on this list you know and you know it hurts me to say that a little bit because he went to my arch rival high school I, I went to Oakton high school he went to Madison wow. high school both in Vienna so I should I should not like Uh, James Triantos. I should hold that against him, but I did not. And um, he actually led Madison to the state title last year, homered and pitched a complete game one hitter with 12 strikeouts in the final game. And, you know, he he was under the radar a little bit because he reclassified. He was going to be in the 2022 draft. He reclassified in 2021. So he wasn't heavily scouted on the showcase circuit because everybody thought they had another year to figure him out. And guys were running in to see him last May before his season ended. And it's interesting because The Cubs took him toward the end of the second round and signed him for an over slot, $2.1 million. I've talked to, I think, three teams who that just broke their heart. They thought they were going to get James Triantos at toward the end of the second round, early third round. And the Cubs broke their heart on that one. And he could just, he can really, really hit right-handed hitter, compact stroke. He's going to have power, um, you know, there's just bat speed. You know, he's, he's not the most projectable guy, but that's fine because he already has a lot of bat speed and strength. And, I mean, the comparisons you hear in the skies, you know, Alex Bregman, David Wright, that type that type of guy. Um, you know, I think he's more of a second baseman than a shortstop. But I, I could see him it, – it's a little bit different style of hitter, I think. But, but I was going to say it could be like a Nick York-type path onto the top 100 where he was maybe – We didn't realize how good this guy was when he was drafted. And then he just comes out and rakes and forces his way onto the top 100. So I I could see him taking that path.
0: Okay. Sam, you wrote a story on uh, prospects who just missed out on this list. Um, And that's a story you can find on MLB.com. But I think the guy you want to talk about is not even on that list. So this is not a guy who – Necessarily just missed. Uh, oh wait, no, he is on this list. I was say. I mean, Jim, yeah, Jim, Jim's guy was not on this list. Right. Your guy is. Uh, so you have you have a list of uh, I don't know how. What was it? Uh, around eight guys maybe um, who just missed the list. Um, and one of them, I know, a personal favorite of
1: yours. Yeah, mine. Mine is Curtis Mead. And and while we're on the topic of that list, let me just say um, that that list could have gone. 20, 30, 40 names deep. I mean, there were multiple drafts of that that I wrote and had to edit again as as we got more info. And you try to limit it to, I think it was eight or 10 names um, on the list. And you can drive yourself up a wall just trying to say who's the next. Because so many of these guys are on the similar plane. I mean, you could go maybe even into our top 100 and say guys from 80 to 120 are very similar and trying to sort them out um, can be a little unfair sometimes. But sticking to Curtis Mead. Curtis Meade was one of my favorite guys of last year, not only because, you know, I, I do our Rays list, and I remember we needed a replacement in the top 30 pretty early on, and I saw his numbers stand out, and I did put in some calls and found out, no, he is the real deal. He's somebody they he made a very, very minor move, Australian native. That's going to pop no matter what happens with him the rest of his career. Um, but somebody the Rays basically found in the Philly system um, back on the GCL fields, and they thought he could be a good hitter uh, at the time. I don't know if they thought this was possible. Somebody who hit above 320 last year across three levels um, was on one of the best hitting streaks we've seen in recent AFL history. Uh, the the guy just stands tall in the box. It's something when I talked to him last year in the Fall League, he picked it up from his father who played in the Australian Baseball League himself, Tim Mead. He was taught from an early age, just stand up straight, make sure you can see the ball as well as you can and just hit it as hard as you can. Um, Don't try to do do anything too fancy. Don't try to swing too hard. Um, Just stand straight up in the box and hit it. And it's worked really well for him. I got to say, like he, he, when we were trying to figure out his power grades this year, I was getting some people saying maybe it's 60 power. Um, We kind of knocked it down to 55 because he hit 15 homers last year, but he did have 38 doubles. It's, it feels like somebody who the, The power is going to come. He could be a 25-homer guy in the end, just as some of those doubles turn into home runs. Uh, He's still only 21 years old. He's going to be 21 for the entire season. My biggest question with Meade, and I think that's one thing that kept him off the top 100 for now, is his defense. Um, Seeing him at third base, it's very much a work in progress there. He doesn't really have the arm for it. Uh, I think you're kind of being gracious if you call it an average arm. He's put in time at first base as well. He's put, put in some time at second base, not as much in games, but in a lot of pregame work. That could maybe work. Um, I think he doesn't quite have the athleticism for it. But the guy's going to hit. He he hit everywhere he went last year. Um, it's a question of how the power is going to come around, but I think that's going to be above average as well. If he just picks up where he left off in 2021, he's going to be on this top 100 in no time. It's almost not going to matter whether he's a third baseman or a first baseman um, because the offensive package is going to be so good.
0: You mentioned his uh, excellent showing in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, Sam, I don't see in his scouting report blurb that you did any mention of him being um, the fifth round pick of Team Ratliff, the uh, (laughs) Arizona Fall League, the pipeline Arizona Fall League total bases fantasy league uh, champion. So uh, I guess we need to edit that blurb and get that important fact in there. When he Uh, makes the top
1: 100, Jason, I will make sure that that is in there.
0: There we go. Perfect. Uh, Okay. So let's, uh, let's wrap things up here with a question from the mailbag and uh, we're going to veer away from uh, the top 100. And we, as I mentioned before, we're also in the process of putting out the team top 30 prospects list. Um, And we have a question as we often do from Steven D'Alessio. But before we get to that, I see a little note in the uh, rundown here that I didn't even notice until we got here. But it says, Jim wants to ask Sam a question before we get to CBD.
2: Yeah, well, I will will be the listener. So my my question is, and then I will give my brief answer to, to the question as well, is this was an odd year for the whole top 100, top 30 process with the lockout and Well, the top 100 especially because we had the list basically done in mid-January as usual and then had to sit on it for a while. And we had two more months where we're talking to people and working on top 30 lists. So my question for Sam was, is there anyone in particular who through talking to all the people we've talked to in the last couple of months, are there any prospects that you – it pains you right now that we don't have them on the top 100? If you could could go back and put the guy in the top 100 – is there anybody in particular who stands out? Uh,
1: the what I mean, just again, going back into like digging into the teams that I've worked right. hardest on. I think Mead is one of those guys, uh, again, just because I think the, the hit tool is really going to play. And Aaron Ashby is another one who's uh, maybe I'm just becoming a favorite or he's becoming a favorite of mine. Uh, but I, I do think like as we got closer and closer through spring and it, the Brewers were saying like, no, we really are going to try him as a as a starter. And again, they have some success of doing that in the past with guys who started out as relievers and, and blossomed more into starting roles in the major leagues once they got their feet wet. Um, I think he could have kind of cracked that list. I mean, I know we have him on the left-handed pitchers list right now, which is pretty good. Um, but if you take it's him a- over Mackenzie Gore, if, if you're, if you're a GM
2: and I'm offering you in trade, you can have yeah. Mackenzie Gore, Aaron Ashby, who do you take right now?
1: I, i that's tough now because even that conversation we're having now, like Mackenzie Gore pitched this week in this, in spring training, and I don't want to put too much into it, but he looked a lot better than I even saw him in the fall league last year. Um, so uh, I, it's real close. It's real close. I I don't know how to. Split those two. I, I just Ashby slider is a tremendous pitch. It's going to be one of the best sliders potentially in the majors um, by a left-hander. Anyway, um, the fastball is good. The changeup became an above-average pitch. He had a velo bump last year that the Brewers think can hold. It's really just going to come down to control with him, but yeah. um, who knows? Like he might end up being a reliever in the middle of the year, and the you know if they trade Josh Hader at some point, he might be the left-handed complement to Devin Williams, but. Um, yeah, Ashby was the one that I think it, it, the more and more we dug in and the more and more it felt like, oh, the Brewers are really going this route, uh, I think he probably could have ca- cracked the, the back half.
0: Yeah, for me – Jim, I, I, I think so, I'm – on. yeah, I was going to say. I think I'm on to you here. I think you asked this question because you have an answer to it
2: yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I do. I do. I, and I said I was going to give the answer, and it's like I, – I, Brandon Williamson is – the two names who I've had I've, – I've heard from – scouts and people you know, even though we ran it by a bunch of people even including some people i heard from we ran it by i've heard from since the list came out and the two names that have come up the most are brandon williamson another left-handed pitcher who just got traded to the reds and um jeremy pena with the astros would be the two for me that i that i would advocate for if we were if we were re- if we were doing the list from scratch today i'd be advocating for those two guys but Anyway, I just I, – I, I wanted to get that topic out there. So I, I, I've, I've asked my own mailbag question. But now we, we have to go to I, – I feel like this this segment should be named after Stephen D'Alessio. <laughs> just because – and, and the thing is, I mean – and I mean that almost sincerely because he asks good, so many good questions. And like like you guys don't see them. Like Jonathan and I do the inbox. And, and we, we sometimes will use the podcast questions in the weekly pipeline inbox but stevie steven usually asks a question like if i ask for questions three or four days in a row on twitter steven will ask a question almost every day and there are times where i'm like i'll see a question I'm like, oh it's a good one i'm like well i can't really use two questions from steven uh like in one inbox it's a little bit too much but he he just asks great questions and we should probably like if we have a story idea meeting invite steven to contribute because he has a lot of good, thought-provoking questions. Anyway,
0: yeah, let's hire Stephen. Uh, his his question this week is which prospects lists were the hardest to rank, and I think he he's got to be referring to the team list here, right? He's not referring to.
2: Yeah, I hope team. I I, I took it that way too because if he's asking us like the two thousand twenty-two top one hundred versus the two thousand fifteen top one hundred. <laughs> we, We're gonna we have to get back a question. I, I don't know how we would answer that question, but I I assume he means teams. So
0: yeah, so uh, Jim and Jim and uh, Jonathan and Sam and Will uh, divide up the teams just to kind of explain a little bit how this works. Um, so I guess you'll just be answering uh, Jim among your teams and Sam among among yours. But do you do you have I mean, we, one? We take
2: a we can just take a shot at Jonathan and say like, boy, this list Jonathan did. Is so he terrible. Must,
0: he, he must have was, had a hard time. With it this was home.
2: clearly hard because he did a bad job at it. So we we could go in that direction since he's not here to defend himself. That's right.
0: Uh, is, is there a team uh, for each of you that that jumps out that uh, you recall over the past couple months being particularly
1: difficult to arrange?
2: Sam, do you want to go first? Do you want me? To yeah, go first?
1: I'll go first. I I think when I first read this question. I kind of read it in a pessimistic way. It, it's supposed to be like, what is the thinnest system you have? And you're really <laughs> digging up the dregs of like, okay, who's going to be number 25 here? And and Jim, you. Wow. Sam's you, a real
0: uh, list is half empty kind of guy. Well, no,
1: that's what I initially read it as. And then I was like, you know what? No, actually, I want to flip this on its head. And Yeah. Uh, I looked at it as like, which was the, the most agonizing decisions? Because I mean, before you
2: give your answer, I think where you're going is, I think the consensus in baseball would be that the White Sox have the thinnest farm system. Exactly. Um, And yes, I mean, even the thin farm systems, you come up with 30 guys. Like, so I, I looked at the question initially, which is I think the way you're going is I agonize over leaving guys off a list. Like I really like this guy and I can't rank him. So, so, like that pains me more than sometimes when you're doing the end of a thin farm system. You're like, ah, like I don't know how much faith I really have in these guys, but you have their names. So to me, it's it's more the agony of these are guys. I wanted to rank guys, and I just ran out of space. So, so I, I bet, I bet I know. Well, you know, I'll let you. You know, I'll, I'm going to guess who you're going to say, and then okay. after you, answer, you can guess who I'm going to say. But like. I'm going to guess it's the Rays of course, it's because the Rays. they're just ridiculously deep and there's no way. I mean, how many, how many Rays did it agonize you to leave off? I mean, you, I'm guessing you must've had at least a half dozen.
1: Yeah. I, well, you know, out of uh, pure transparency here, um, Rays beat writer for MLB.com, Adam Barry, did a lot of the work on this um, including the blurb for the Rays this year. And, you know, he, him and I were trading messages all the time. I was trying to lead him certain ways. Here's what I'm hearing. What he, he's what Here's what he's hearing. Um, and he had a list, and it was, I think, 50 deep. And we were, you know, I was trying to say, like, these guys are the t- in certain tiers. Let's look at it through this way. I was trying to get through tiers of 30, and then, you know, we could figure out some guys for maybe the 30 to 35 list. And he kept just adding to it. And it just kept going, going, and going, and going, and going. And when we were trying to figure out, again, what those tiers would be. Who are the 50 prospects? Who are the 45 prospects? Who are the grade 40 prospects? The grade 45s lasted well into the 20s. It it was not easy to start 40-ing guys in that system. I think we started – I can say this now because the AL East is out. I think we started with Rene Pinto um, just because he's probably a backup catcher. But he had a really strong breakout season last year. He forced his way onto this list. He forced his way onto the 40-man roster. For tampa bay um this is a, now a list that does not include brendan mckay like imagine if i told you that jim at some point three years ago well brendan i would McKay have i would have said okay well sure of course not because he's graduated graduated right? exactly and he's been on the cusp of graduation forever and he's but he's been injured and I, I turned to adam and i was like listen i don't think we can rank him anymore obviously he has he had a great ceiling at one point but there's just so many good prospects in this system and you know, the guy we have at number 30 now, Junior Caminero, who they brought over from the Cleveland Guardian system. Uh, Barry talked to a lot of people who said, this is the next Curtis Mead. He, he's somebody they identified and, you know, thought had really good underlying metrics uh, in the lower levels and is just about to pop. They keep doing this. This is the Rays' way to have a really deep farm system and to have somebody, you know, develop and become a, a great prospect like a Taj Bradley last year. Um he was another breakout prospect for them. So th- this raised system is impossibly deep. They're going to graduate some guys this year, but the guys who are going to come up behind them are strong as it is now. And there's probably going to be another Curtis Meade behind them that we, we're not even talking about now, who might be a top 100 prospect a year from now. Who knows? Um, but they're just so, so good at, at developing a system like this. That it was really difficult to get it down to 30. So, so who am I going to pick soon? Who are you going to pick? I almost want to do this by process of elimination, which is not going to be able. Would it be Miami?
2: You know, no, it, it, it wasn't. They, they actually were easier because while they're, they're, they're not, they, they do have some depth, but they're, they're more top heavy than deep. And so it wasn't like I had an abundance of characters. I had about four teams. I'm not going to go into them all where I had, Oh, there's like 36 or 37 guys. At least who could go on the top 30, but it. I keep coming back to the Dodgers who keep- I was going to say that yeah.
1: I, I kicked myself right after. The reason I just quickly uh, the reason I thought about the Marlins is because of the debate we had amongst their starting <laughs> pitching prospects. Yeah, right, I was four like four weeks and is continuously ongoing. But anyway,
2: yeah, but so it, it's you know, for me it was the Dodgers. And you know, I mean, I write the same overview on the Dodgers every year, which is basically they keep winning at historical levels in franchise history and go to the playoffs every year. And, you know, just regenerate new guys. You know, they have five top 100 prospects this year. I think only two of them were on the top 100 prospects list last year. They have another wave coming behind them and another wave behind them. And, you know, I I was agonizing over the number 30 spot. I I kind of narrowed it down to three hitters. And I wanted to rank all of them, and I obviously couldn't. And then when I was getting feedback from people – you know there were guys I had in like my, my thirty-one to thirty-six group that I had different, you know, various pro scouting directors who were like, "Oh, you got to put that guy on the list. Or you got to put that guy on the list." And then, you know, th- th- that doesn't even get into the collection of guys who were on the list before and didn't really have bad years and get just got passed. And you know, even in the draft, you know, they had some really intriguing like middle round arms like Emmett Sheehan or Ben Kasperius. and it was almost like I'm not even really considering those guys because. I don't have room like, like, I'll, you know, I'll force those guys to go out and prove it. And I mean, just kind of the, the quintessential Dodger story is, you know, in the fourth round last year, they took Nick Nostrini who could not throw strikes at all at UCLA, but they thought it was more of a, a mental really than a physical thing. And he got kind of buried in the Bruins bullpen and he pitched good in summer ball. And so they got him in the fourth round. And he's just been like, crazy stuff like like i had support to put him in the dodgers top 10 and i was like oh, i'm gonna hedge my bets a little bit on that but i mean he, you know it's in the short time he's been in pro ball he's been averaging you know 96 97 miles an hour and that's averaging with, with his fastball with elite metrics um hot you know super high spin on the curve and slider change up i mean We'll see. I'm not. I, I like. I wasn't gonna go crazy, but like, if you told me just based on the reviews I've gotten on the people who've seen Nick Destrini and I and I also got a lot of from other teams. Like, I can't believe the Dodgers of all teams got this guy in the fourth round. It's almost not fair. Like, Nick Destrini sounds like he might be a top 100 prospect a year from now if what he's done so far is real. Um, and they just make it difficult. I mean, you know, they're not afraid to promote guys to the big leagues. Which makes it a little bit easier because there's there's always space being created for for more prospects when they promote guys, but it's like they they you know promote one guy and then have two more guys who belong on the top thirty list. It's it's like uh, uh, you know Mickey Mouse and, and Fantasia. I can't you know I can't keep up with all the Dodgers prospects.
0: All right, guys. Top 100. The longest
2: podcast ever. Yeah, I was going
0: <laughs> to say top one hundred prospects podcast here and we damn near went uh, a minute per prospect how,
2: how we, about we, we didn't even we, happy, we,
0: didn't,
2: we didn't I was gonna say just you didn't have
0: Jonathan here to police us
2: Well, and we also like well I think we should just just go big like go really big and we have like I don't think we've ever used Jonathan's like 15 minute Adley Rutschman interview yet in the podcast have we we have not
0: let's drop that we'll, in. Have no, we'll let's...
2: throw that in the middle and we'll go to an hour over an hour and a half now yeah, then
0: we're then we'll come back and break down each player in the top 100 plus in a word
1: so in a word like we'll have a well, we'll that would be
0: fun
2: actually
1: that, in a that word. would actually be pretty fun in a
2: that's word a, but nobody can you can't repeat a word like exactly you the same word more than once
0: and you have to go alphabetically you have to no we're, we're not <laughs> all right well let's wrap this thing up that's zany. that's the gonna number do 100
2: prospect would be zany in that case
0: <laughs> that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the mlb pipeline podcast thanks to everybody for listening thanks once again to Stevie D, Stevie, uh, well, it's Stevie D Ailes, is how the uh, Twitter handle looks. But I guess it's—I uh, don't know how he does that. But Stevie D Eliseo. and uh, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.